Thank you, Brother Raphael. Well, I've enjoyed the music this morning. Amen? It's been a blessing. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 19 this morning. John chapter 19, once again. And I want to give you, uh, just looking over the outline before I I walked up here, I want to give you uh, what I would call an informative message. And so I'm going to give you, for the next little while, I'm just going to give you some information. And I'm hoping that information will... Uh, will motivate you to uh, live a different life. And, and so John chapter 19 in your Bibles, when you find your place, if you'll stand today out of respect for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to stand, that is. John 19, we're going to read the first 12 verses. And what a great chapter. I want to encourage you to go back and, and read the whole chapter in your devotions. Uh, John chapter 19 and verse 1. The Bible says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, And the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Now, if you'd like to mark your Bibles up, I want you to circle the word there in verse 4. I want you to circle the word, Behold or underline it or highlight it, however you like to do that. And he said, Behold, I bring him forth to you, you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, and here's that word again, Behold the man. Again, if you like to mark your Bibles up, I want you to underline that or circle that. Verse 6, when the chief priest, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid. And went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. And then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, boy, look at this, church. Boy, I got a message coming out of here. Hang on now. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. What? I thought there was no sin above any other sin. Hang on, that's coming later, okay? And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh him a self a king speaketh against Caesar. There's so much exposition we could just give you as we're reading through the Scripture there. That last verse was the ultimate denial. These people, these Jewish people hated Rome. They hated Caesar. You understand that? They hated Caesar. And yet they said, well, Caesar's our guy. You know, that's how much they hated Jesus. I want to talk to you about this subject today. Behold the man. Behold the man. You may be seated this morning. And we're going to pray and uh, jump into this Bible study. That's really what it is. We're going to give you a lot of information right off the the, the top here. And then we'll sort of 
um, bring it, hopefully the Lord will sort of bring it to a climax and, and we hope the, the Lord will use it today. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the privilege to be back at Calvary. And God, we're so thankful for all the music and the singing and the congregational numbers. And Lord, it's just been wonderful. I mean, it's just been wonderful. Brother Terry talked this morning about how we need that fellowship and and uh, Lord, we've received it today. We really have. And just that through the, uh, the shaking of hands and speaking one another, but also singing together and, and just ex- experiencing worship together. And Father, we just thank you and praise you for that. Now, Lord, I pray our hearts have been kindled. I pray our hearts have been refreshed and, and opened. And uh, Lord, I pray now that you'll speak to our spirits today. I pray that you'll help us to, uh, Lord, have a, a better understanding of, of the cross of what Brother Raphael just sang about, that grace that came through that sacrifice on the cross. And so, Lord, bless us and help us. And and, uh, Lord, I pray you'd really fire us up today and and motivate us today. And and, uh, Lord, I pray you'd work in spite of me. And I pray you'd work past me and through me. And uh, we pray that, uh, Lord, that you would work. We plead the blood of Jesus over this service. And I pray that there not be anything allowed to hinder what you want to accomplish. And so help us, please, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And for his sake, and all God's people said, amen. Well, I'm going to start this message the same way I started that message a couple weeks ago. Evangelist Tom Williams said this, whenever your heart gets a little cold, run to John chapter 19. Run to John chapter 19, and it'll warm your heart. Well, I've been doing that. I've been taking his counsel, and I've been taking my own counsel. And for the last few weeks, I have been camping out in John chapter 19. I've been reading other places, but pretty much every day I've been reading John chapter 19. That's a long chapter, um, but man, I've been reading through it uh, practically every single day for several weeks now. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to testify that what Dr. Williams said is true. If you'll run to John chapter 19, it'll warm your heart. And as I have been reading and studying in John chapter 19, it has done exactly that. It has warmed my heart as I've been reminded of all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. One of the things that I noticed in John chapter 19 after studying it is that that word behold, you know, it's interesting that if the Lord says something once, it is very worthy of our attention. If the Lord says something twice, the Lord is trying to emphasize something. But if the Lord says something five times in a chapter, I believe God's trying to teach us a lesson. And so we, we find here in John chapter 19 that the word behold is used on five different occasions. It's a word, it's the Greek word I-D-E, I'd or I-D-E, or however you would like to say it. We probably won't say it right anyway, so we're not going to worry about that too much. But it means to denote surprise. It's a word that means to know or to, to be aware. And so every time you come across that word behold in John chapter 19, what the Bible is saying there is this, that you need to behold. You need to be aware of something. I want you to know something. And every time we find that word behold and we read those verses surrounding that word, each of those times, there's an incredibly significant life lesson that's being taught. The first one we find in verse number four, John 19, verse four. The Bible says, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, behold, I want you to know. I want you to be aware. Behold, I bring him forth to you. Notice the last part. That ye may know that I find no fault in him. In other words, Pilate said, I've looked him over. I've examined him. I've talked to him. 
And I want you to know something. I see nothing wrong. I don't find not one solitary blemish in this man that you have accused. In fact, we find that Pilate proclaimed that on three different occasions. The scripture is very clear to point out that there was no blemish in Jesus. There was no sin in the spotless Son of God. Now, again, that's a message I've already preached. I'm not going to re-preach that message this morning, but that is important. It's important that we point that out, that there was no sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. Had there been sin in Christ, and had Jesus been an ordinary sinner like our society wants you to believe, you and I would have no hope. We would be miserable. We would be on our way to hell had Jesus been a sinner just like everybody else. But how many are glad this morning that he was not a sinner like everybody else? He was not ordinary like some would have you believe. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, a substitute that God sent to this earth. And thank God because he was sinless, because he was without fault, he was able to take your sin on him and he was able to pay the penalty for your sin on the cross of Calvary. And a few weeks ago, we said it like this. I owed a debt I could not pay, but thank God he paid a debt he did not owe. And so Pilate said, behold, I find no fault in him. But I want to go further. We find that second, or the second time it's used in verse number five. Look there if you will. The Bible says, Then Jesus, or then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And notice the last line. The Bible says, And Pilate saith unto him, here's the word again, Behold, I want you to know, I want you to be aware. Behold, the man. By the way, you'll notice there's an exclamation point after that. Behold the man. I can see Pilate as it comes out. Behold the man. Now, it's important for us to understand that when Pilate said this, it was a form of sarcasm. Pilate was doing his best to satisfy the absolute vehement jealousy and anger of the Jewish people and specifically those religious leaders. And so, uh, again, I want you to, I really believe the Spirit of God wants to paint a picture in our minds, and I hope you'll see the full picture as we finish the message in just a few moments. But, but, but Pilate was saying to these religious leaders, this Jesus that you've been so bothered by, this Jesus that has uh, upset the Jewish apple cart, this Jesus that has upset your formal religion, uh, behold the man. In other words, this guy that you've been so troubled by, he's not all that much. That's what he's saying. Pilate brings Jesus out, having done what he done to the Son of God, and he says to the Jewish uh, leaders, behold the man. He's not really anything to get too upset about. Look what I've done. To him. Behold the man. Now that's significant because there are several things that have happened when Pilate brings Jesus out and presents the Lord Jesus to the people. Several things that I want to bring out this morning. Number one, we notice that Pilate has heard. And each of these points start with the letter H. Pilate has heard Jesus. Now that's important. Look, if you will, at John chapter 18. Uh, go back a, a page and look at John 18 and verse number 33. John 18, verse 33. The Bible says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Aren't thou the king of the Jews? Would you notice verse 34? And would you notice the first three words? The Bible says, uh, Jesus 
answered him, Pilate. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Look at verse 36. And you'll notice these two words as verse 36 begins. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then will my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Look at, uh, look at the next two words. Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Now that's interesting. Uh, the Bible says there that Jesus answered him. In fact, three times it says this. And I wrote this down in my outline. At this point, at this point, Pilate is without excuse. The words Jesus answered are used three times in just a short amount of Scripture. Three times the Bible says Jesus answered, Jesus answered, Jesus answered. And I thought about the scripture in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word, shall every word be established. And so the word of God has been spoken to Pilate on at least three different occasions. But how many know this, that God's not just the God of one chance, God's the God of many chances. And so God, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't just speak to Pilate once, doesn't just speak to Pilate twice, doesn't just speak to Pilate three times, but he actually goes over and above and beyond. And by the way, that's what the Lord always does. He always goes over and above and beyond. His grace is more. His grace is abundant. And so uh, the Lord Jesus Christ could have stopped right there, but he didn't do that. Look back over at John chapter 19 and look at verse number 10. The Bible says, then I'm going somewhere, church. John 19 verse 10. Then saith Pilate unto him, speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? Look at verse 11, those two words. Jesus answered Thou couldest have no power at all against me except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. Four times the Bible says Jesus answered, Jesus answered, Jesus answered, Jesus answered. And I saw, I thought about Romans chapter 10 verse 13 or 17 where the Bible says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Did you know that Pilate had heard the word of God four different times? You say, no, 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 preacher, he heard Jesus. That's right. He heard the word of God. He heard the living word of God, the literal word of God. He heard on four different occasions. He answered, he answered, he answered, he answered. Now listen to me, church. Pilate makes a conscious decision. After hearing Jesus all these times, he makes a conscious decision to reject the Lord. You know what Pilate is? Pilate is a picture of the lost man who had plenty of opportunity but turned away. Hey, lost person, can I ask you something? Have you heard the Lord? Has the Lord spoken to you? Brother Terry, I wish, I wish everybody would have been here this morning. 
I wish you could have heard that testimony this morning that he gave and as he talked about being in that service and his wife begging him to go to church and he finally, you know, he finally gave in, made a deal with her and said, I'll go one time if you'll just leave me alone. And, and he said that day I went to the church service and he said the preacher began to preach and the Spirit of God began to work and, and God began to speak. Brother Terry said, God was speaking in my ear. And I just wonder if maybe there's somebody here this morning and the Lord is speaking. The Lord is, is working. The Lord is telling you it's time. It's time. You've waited long enough. You've put me off long enough. You've rejected me long enough. Hey, it's time. It's time. Oh, listen, can I just say this? Whatever you do, don't make the same mistake that Pilate made. And after hearing the voice of God, rejecting the Lord. Amen. Man, I feel like just stopping there and staking out a little while. Are you hearing the Lord? Are you hearing the Lord? You know why some people don't come to Calvary Baptist Church? Because they know when they come here, they're going to hear the Lord. That's why they want to go to some dead thing where I'm the singing is dead and the preaching is dead and the Spirit of God is not working. And I mean, it's just nothing but formalism, a form of God. Oh, listen, you know what we need? We need some Holy Ghost filled churches across America and some preachers to get up behind the pulpits and preach this, the saith the Lord. Why? Because it is high time in America we hear from God. You don't need to hear from a preacher. You don't need to hear from an evangelist. You don't need to hear from a movie star or a celebrity. You need to hear the voice of Almighty God. And that's exactly what Pilate heard. And yet Pilate turned away. He turned away from that voice. Hey, Christian, can I ask you a question? Are you hearing the Lord? Is the Lord speaking to you? Has he asked you to do something? Has he asked you to speak to someone? Has he asked you to give out a gospel tract? Has he asked you to serve in a specific capacity and the Spirit of God's been working and speaking and some of you have gifts and some of you have talents? By the way, that's not an accident. God gave you that gift. God gave you that talent. And yet you take that light and you hide that light under a bushel week after week after week after week. And the Holy Ghost comes and he says, you need to give that talent to me. You need to use that gift for me. You need to do this thing for me. You need to speak for me. You need to sing for me. You need to serve for me. You need to get involved for me. And I would just ask you today, have you heard? Have you heard the Lord Jesus? When Pilate brings the Lord out and says, behold the man, number one, Pilate has heard Jesus. But there's something else. Please hear me. Number two, Pilate has hurt Jesus. Look at John 19 again, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Spirit of God's working right now, folks. I'm telling you something. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus, notice these words, and scourged him. And I'll explain that in just a moment. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. Again, that's sarcasm. And they smote him with their hands. You understand, Calvary, that by this point, the Lord Jesus Christ is already is already becoming physically unnoticeable. At this point. We're not even to the cross yet. He doesn't have yet. He doesn't have nails in his hands or nails in his feet. 
He's not hanging stretched out on a cross between heaven and earth. But already by this point in John chapter 19, the Son of God is becoming physically unnoticeable. Isaiah 52, 14 said it like this. As many were astonished at his visage, talking about the Lord, his visage was so marred, M-A-R-R-E-D. His visage was so marred more than any man and is formed than the sons of men. You know what Isaiah the prophet was saying? There's going to come a day when the Son of God will come and they will so abuse him that his visage, his appearance will be marred more than anything you've ever seen. Now somebody says, preacher, why is this case? Several things. I wrote this down. Number one, the application of the crown of thorns. Did you notice that's what the Bible says? They crowned him. They platted a crown of thorns, put it upon his head. Man, I never read this. I'm just studying all this out, and it's amazing how God just gives you fresh, fresh stuff. I never knew. I, I, I've always, you know, and I, I usually, during Bible school, I have a, a crown of thorns someone gave me, and I, and I use that crown of thorns and show the children. And By the way, it's a beautiful, if, if there's such a thing, it's a beautiful crown of thorns. And, uh, and I really appreciate that because it's got very long thorns on it. But you know what I found out? That there are scholars who believe that this crown of thorns was not just created from a thorn bush, but this crown of thorns was created or, or fashioned from something called a palm date tree. A palm date tree. You say, big deal? What's well, pretty big? Because they tell us that the spikes on a palm date tree sometimes are as long as 12 inches, 12 inches. By the way, incredibly sharp. In fact, when you're trying to pick off the fruit off these trees, if you don't know what you're doing and you get stabbed by one of these spikes, it can make you uh, afflicted. It can make you ill. Uh, and I want you to understand that this crown of thorns was not only placed on the side about his head and began to salute him, hell king of the Jews, verse 19, and they smote him on the head with a reed. They took this crown, possibly created from a palm date tree with these unbelievably long spikes. They put it on his head and then they take a stick or a reed and they come by and they literally beat this crown of thorns down into the Savior's head. You say, wow, preach, I wish you wouldn't preach this. Well, you know what we need to do? We need to get back to preaching this again. And I know what church is saying. I know what pastor is saying. And well, we don't preach that. That's that slaughterhouse religion, friend. You call it what you want, but I'm telling you, our country's in a mess because we're not preaching the cross anymore. Did you know the human head has more blood vessels than probably any other part of the body? Some of you health people know this. I did not know this. Did you know that about 20% of all the blood that is pumped from the heart travels to the head? That the human scalp is rich with blood vessels? And when those blood vessels are traumatized, it results in heavy bleeding. In fact, head wounds, they tell us head wounds have a tendency to bleed worse than other wounds. So he has been beaten. We know, according to the prophet, his beard has been plucked out, at least parts of it. They've taken this crown of thorns, they placed it upon his head, they've beaten his face, they put this crown of thorns on, they've beaten it down into his head, 
And because his head is rich with blood vessels and blood supply, I mean, you know, these little pictures that you see in somebody's home where there's one little trickle of blood trickling here, maybe one drop over here, I'm going to tell you, uh, that's not, that's really, uh, to, to be quite honest with you, it's almost sacrilegious. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm saying that's not the way it was. These spikes protruded into his cranium, into his head. Those blood vessels, those capillaries were ruptured and literally that those head wounds begin to bleed profusely and by this time when Pilate brings him out and says, behold the man, look what I've done to him. By this time his, in, in, his entire face is completely red. It's covered in blood. His beard, what he had left, is completely covered in blood. His hair, whatever he had, is completely saturated with blood and because of that, because of gravity the blood is flowing down and now whatever garment he may have had on is completely covered. It's completely Covered. No wonder the prophet said his vicious was so marred more than any man. The application of the crown of thorns, but there's something else, the attendance to scourging. Look at John 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Scourged him. Let me just give you what some other people say. One scholar said scourging or whipping often preceded, preceded crucifixion. The Roman flagellum consisted of a whip split into several strips into which sharp bones were embedded so as to cut the flesh. Another scholar said flogging involved the use of a whip of leather strips with bits of bone or metal tied to the ends. The resulting vicious beating would rip the skin from the victim's back. Another scholar said scourging was a horribly cruel act in which the victim was stripped, tied to a post, and beaten by several torturers. Soldiers who, alter who alternated when exhausted, another soldier would take over. For victims who were not Roman citizens, the preferred instrument was a short wooden handle to which several leather thongs were attached. Each leather thong had pieces of bones or metal on the end. The beatings were so savage that sometimes victims died before they ever made it to the cross. The body could be torn or lacerated to such an extent that muscles, veins, and or bones were totally exposed. Such flogging often preceded execution in order to weaken and dehumanize the victim. And again, I couldn't help but think about what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded. For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Why was he marred, preacher? The application of the crown of thorns, the attendance to scourging, wrote this down the abuse of physical beating. Look at John 19:3. Notice what they do. John 19:3 and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. You ever wonder about that? Where did all this hatred come from? That these guys could do something like that. I mean, they're literally, they're mutilating. I don't even know this guy, but they're mutilating him. I mean, they may have heard of Jesus, but you understand what I'm saying? These guys are Rome, from Rome. And yet they are literally mutilating, decimating his body. And you know, you look at this and you think, man, what in the world? 
what kind of hatred, what kind of, you know, what would move somebody to do something like this? You understand that the Romans, the Jews not only hated the Romans, the Romans hated the Jews. The, these Roman soldiers hated Israel. Uh, Rome was an, well, Rome was a, uh, was a world dominator back in this day. It was an occupying force and it occupied many parts of the world. And so these Roman soldiers who wanted to be home, these Roman soldiers who wanted to sleep in their own beds, these Roman soldiers who wanted to enjoy their own fields and their own families, these Roman soldiers are thousands of miles away from home in a place called Israel, Jerusalem. And uh, you understand that they don't want to be there. And they, they look at this situation and they think, you know what, the only reason I'm here is because because of these no good, low down Jewish people. And so as they, they have an opportunity to pour out their wrath on the Son of God, you understand that this is their opportunity to air out their grievances, to air out their bitterness. Christ hasn't even reached the cross and His human body is decimated. No wonder the Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, and when He had given thanks... He break it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken. This is my body, which is broken for you. Like you would take a piece of bread and tear that piece of bread. Jesus said, that's how my body was. Pilate has heard Jesus. Pilate has hurt Jesus, but hang with me. Number three. Pilate has humiliated Jesus. Look at John 19, church, and look at verse 2. John 19, verse 2. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Notice the next line. The Bible says, and they put on him a purple robe. By the way, that suggests whatever he had on, they took it off. And they put their own garment on him. By the way, to mock him. And said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and said, saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe that they had put on him. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold, the man. Look at verse 23, same chapter. Verse 23, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and took his garments. Know that, that phrase, took his garments, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart and also his coat. Now, you say, Pastor, where are you heading on, on this? You understand what the Bible's telling us here, church? Pilate's not only heard Jesus, Pilate has not only hurt Jesus, he's humiliating Jesus. So by now the soldiers have physically stripped him. Stripped him. They seek to strip him emotionally. So they strip him physically. Trying to rid him of all dignity. It's why Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says it like this. Looking unto Jesus... The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, listen to these words, despising the shame. Despising the shame. Study your Bible. You'll find out that's the only place that's used. It's the only place you can find where the Bible says that Jesus actually despised something. Was there something that the Lord despised? I promise you this, he doesn't despise you. 
but he despised the shame. He knew where he was going. He knew what the cross was going to behold. He knew what was coming. Yes, he was human, but he was all God. And he knew what was coming. And he knew that he was going to be able to redeem your lost soul. But he also knew. He knew what was entailed. He knew what was coming down the road. And he knew it was going to be a terrible, terrible time of shame and humiliation. And so they strip him in public view of the mob. And then they reclothe him with a purple robe. But then when they finally bring him to the cross, I don't believe the purple robe's there anymore. Personally, I believe they strip him completely naked. We have pictures that show him wearing a little loin loin cloth. But I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that's how it was. I think they sought to strip him completely of dignity. And so they stripped him of anything that would cover him. It is, it is the epitome of shame. Are you, are you with me, church? I know this is heavy. I know this is a little deep. We need some heaviness every now and then. It is the epitome of shame. It is absolute shame. In fact, it is so bad, someone suggested that the shame of Jesus was so bad, it's why God turned the lights out. Luke 23, 44, and it was about the sixth hour. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Big deal? Yeah. When it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and everything goes totally dark till three. How many know that's probably something significant? And here the Son of God is. He's been beaten to a pulp. These, these spikes, these thorn spikes are protruding out of his skull, out of his cranium, out of his skin. Blood is, he's bleeding profusely. In fact, by now he's so weak he can't even really carry his own cross. And they have to get someone to help him bear the cross. And now he, he hangs on the cross and, and it's the epitome of shame. He has not one thread of clothes on and so God says, you know what, I can't stand it. And so God just flips the switch. And by the way, God can flip the switch anytime he wants to. By the way, by the way, read your Bibles. That switch is going to get flipped again. It's coming. And God says, I'm going to cut the lights off. I can't stand to see it. I'm going to cut the lights off. You say, Pastor, wow. I mean, you're really, really being, I mean, you're being, uh, don't, don't you think you're being a little over, overly descriptive this morning? No, not enough. In fact, Calvary, do you know the reason the cross of Christ was so terrible beyond description? is because this was a picture of the hell that you and I should have endured. The torture. The absolute sheer torture. I mean, it's already bad, and it gets worse. It gets worse, and it gets even worse than that. I mean, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and the shame and the, and the ridicule and the mocking and the spitting and the beating and, and you're thinking, preacher, what in the world? What's this all about? Let me tell you what it is, church. It is a picture of the hell that you and I were supposed to suffer. Yeah. 
2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Can I ask you a question? We're done, but can I ask you a question? Does his sacrifice motivate you? And the answer to that ought to be yes. It should. Now, we're almost done, but I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look with me at verse number 13 this morning. And we're going to have you out of here in just a, just a few moments. We're doing good on time. Hang in there with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 13. Look what our Bible says. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. Paul says to the church of Corinth here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 13. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Look at verse 14. Paul says to this church, for the love of Christ. Notice the next word. What's the next word? Constraineth, not restraineth. Constraineth. If I restrain you, I'm holding you back. If I constrain you, man, I'm pushing you forward. And Paul says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. If the sacrifice of Christ doesn't motivate you, it's because we don't consider it enough. That's what's going on, church. That's what's going on in the churches across America. That's why you've got to beg, bar, and steal to try to get people to come. That's why you've got to bribe them to come here. That's why they don't want to come back on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night or don't come to revival. That's why they won't read their Bibles. That's why they don't spend time in any prayer. That's why they won't tithe for anything in the world. I'll tell you why. Because the love of Christ doesn't constrain them. Because truth of the matter is, we really don't think we've been saved from a whole lot. But the Son of God literally dipped his soul into hell. He paid the price. He paid our hell for us. That's why Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, For consider him, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Can I tell some of you folks why you always want to quit? You're not in John chapter 19 enough. Well, I think I'm going to quit. I'm not surprised. I think I'm going to quit because of the preacher. I'm not surprised. Because if you're in this thing for the preacher, you're going to quit. Well, I think I'm going to quit because of the Sunday school teacher. You're going to quit. If you're in it for the Sunday school teacher, you're going to quit. By the way, for that matter, if you're in it for any other reason, you're going to quit. You're going to get weary. You're going to faint. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, for consider him. Get your mind on him. Think about what he did. Think about his sacrifice. And when you begin to think about all that he did for you, you know what it does? It constrains you. It motivates you to go forward. Charles Wesley wrote those immortal words, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? Some of you recognize the name Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a great missionary. God used Hudson Taylor mightily 
over in, the, over in Asia. And I read this story this week, and I thought it went right along with what I'm preaching this morning. Listen to this. When Hudson Taylor was director of the China Inland Mission, he often interviewed candidates for the mission field. On one occasion, he met with a group of applicants to determine their motivation for service. And why do you wish to go as a foreign missionary, he asked one. I want to go because Christ has commanded us all to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, was his reply. Another said, I want to go because millions are perishing without Jesus. Others gave different answers. And then the great missionary spoke and said this, all of these motives, however good, will fail you in times of testings, trials, tribulations, and possible death. There's but one motive that will sustain you in trial and testing, namely, the love of Christ. I don't know if you're getting what I'm preaching yet or not. Church, fact is, we make excuses all day long for why we get away, why we backslide, why we leave the will of God. We can make excuses all day long, but when it comes down to it, it's all because we don't love Him like we should. And the reason we don't love Him like we should is because we don't realize what He did. The sacrifice He made. Old story. But it just fits too well right here and it's just fired me up too much not to give it. There's a place that you can go today. If you were to travel down to New Orleans, Louisiana, there's a place where you can go. There's a hotel there on that site now where probably more slaves were sold on this slave block than any other place literally in America. Again, there's a hotel there now. But you can, they say, hey, at least in the hotel, you can go to a certain place. And maybe they even have some signage there that says this is the spot. Back in this day and time, you only need to be one-sixteenth black to be sold as a slave. On a certain day, they brought up a young black slave, but she was beautiful, beautiful. They put her up onto the slave block, and wicked men began to bid for this slave, and they thought, man, we're not only getting a worker, but hey, we're getting a beautiful slave here. And so they began to, they began to bid, except on this day, it was quite different. Because on this day in New Orleans, Louisiana, on this certain spot, there was a Kentucky Baptist preacher who was bidding with them. What's even more odd, his little wife was right by his side. Those wicked men begin to bid, and the pastor would give a bid. Then the bidding began to die down just a little bit, and so the auctioneer reached over and sort of ripped some of the young lady's clothes and exposed parts of her body, and Bidding began to increase again, and they said that bidding went up and up and up, and this Baptist preacher just stayed right in there, and they said that it, this was totally unprecedented. Nothing like this had ever, had ever occurred. Uh, the bidding got up to, to over 800 and even $1,000 for a slave, uh, and these wicked men said, I'll give 1000 and the Baptist preacher just hung right in there, and he said, I'll give, I'll give 1100 And somebody said, I'll give twelve. And the preacher said, I'll give thirteen. And finally, finally, that Baptist preacher and his wife won the bid. 
He walked up to the front there where the auction block was, and there was that slave and those chains. Man, Does that Baptist preacher walk up there with his wife? Those wicked men said, man, that was some pretty hefty bidding. I bet I know what you're planning on doing with that young lady. That Kentucky Baptist preacher got those keys from that auctioneer. Reached up. And unlocked those chains. And those wrist chains fell away. And he stooped down and he unlocked those shackles on her ankles. And those chains fell away. And he said, yes, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And in that Kentucky draw, with that Kentucky draw, he opened up his voice and he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, gentlemen. I'm going to set her free. I'm going to set her free. I'm going to set her free. You know what they tell us about that story? That girl who used to be a slave decided to live there from then on. And from that day, she washed that preacher and his wife. She washed their clothes. And she worked around their house. And they became great friends. And she served them. Because she had to. <laughs> oh, no. Not because she had to. Because she got to. Because somebody... Set her free. Preach, why do you do what you do? Because thank God he set me free. How about you? How about you? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Anybody else thankful for the sacrifice? Anybody else thankful for the blood? Anybody else thankful for the crown of thorns? Anybody else thankful for the chains? The chains have fallen away. Oh, Lord. Thank you for the message. Lord, thank you for starting the revival fires to burn this morning. How do we say thanks? Oh, God, how can we ever begin to be thankful enough? Lord, if I got what I deserved, I'd be lost in a devil's hell. Thank you, Lord for setting me free. Thank you, Lord, for unlocking the chains. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross. Wow. Thank you. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Why don't we stand all around the house with our heads bowed? Anybody else hearing Jesus today? Is the Lord speaking to somebody? 
Not like Brother Terry's testimony. You better listen to that preacher. You better listen to that preacher. He's, he's telling it right. Anybody else need to run down here to the front and get saved? Anybody? Well, if that's, if that's, if that's the case, well, you ought to do it right now. Don't wait. If you're here this morning, say, preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. I, I wouldn't wait. I wouldn't wait. Another second, I'd run. I'd run down to the altar. I'd just run down here and just fall in this altar and come to Christ. If our personal workers are not already in the altar, if you'll go ahead and come forward. With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many are here this morning would say, Pastor, if I died today, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I'm saved. Hallelujah. I know I'm saved. If that's you, you slip your hand up. You say, Preacher, I know that he set me free. I know he set me free. Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Come on now. Won't you be honest? How many are here this morning, though, and you'd say, Pastor, I could not raise my hand. And if I died right now, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. Would you please remember me? Is there one like that here here today? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Would you pray? Would you pray for me? Anybody like that? Can I pray for you? You have to raise it really high so I don't miss you. Anybody? You'll let me pray for you? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure about heaven. Would you pray? As far as I can tell, I don't see anybody raising their hand. You know what that means, church? You know what that means, Calvary? God gave us this message not for lost people necessarily. God gave us this message for saved people. I wonder who is here this morning who would say, I want the love of Christ to constrain me. Preacher, I've been on on the fringe for a long time. It's time to get serious. It's time to sell out. It's time to get serious about serving the Lord. I want the love of Christ to constrain me. Preacher, I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm willing to do it. Maybe there's somebody here this morning who says, Pastor, I am saved, but I'm I'm not right with the Lord. I'm not really where I need to be. I'm not really where I need to be. And today you'd say, I'm going to let the love of Christ constrain me to rededicate my life to Jesus. Pastor, I've been saved. I've never followed in baptism. But I'm going to let the love of Christ constrain me to follow him in baptism. It could be many things. While we pause, just for a few moments, if there are others that need to come, we want you to come right now. Will you come? Will you come? Every once in a while, you can look up this way. Every once in a while, somebody will say something like this. I can't believe your God would damn somebody to hell. If you come to a service like this and you leave lost, you know what you've done? You have stepped over the blood of Jesus Christ. You've heard the voice of God. And you've rejected just like Pilate. If you're here this morning and say, Pastor, it's me, it's me. Listen, we're going to sing. We're going to sing this little chorus that just says, just as I am without one plea. And if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I need Christ. I need Christ. I know I do. Maybe everybody thinks you're born again, but 
you say, preacher, I need the Lord. Then we're gonna we're gonna sing. While we're singing, I want you just to find one of these aisles and come, and there'll be somebody here with a Bible, and they'll be glad to meet with your Bible. We're not gonna make you give a speech. We're not gonna make you do anything like that. We're not gonna embarrass you. We just wanna take God's word and show you how you can know that you're going to heaven when you die, okay?